You're listening to the Co-Main Event Podcast. And now your hosts, Ben Folks and Chad Dunn. That's right. Welcome in to another sickly episode of the Co-Main Event Podcast. I'm your co-host, Chad Dundas, from ESPN.com, and right now I'm whacked out on tons of cold medication. And uh, joining us, as always, from USA Today and MMAJunkie.com, your other ho- co-host for the Co-Main Event Podcast, Ben Folks. Ben, how are you? I'm doing a lot better than you. you. Yeah, I don't feel good. Yeah, you've been here just a few minutes, and I've seen you popping these cough drops or whatever is in that, that unmarked box you got sitting over there. Zoomies. Whackers, goofballs, yeah, uppers, downers, reds. <laughs> I'm all on the gas. Yeah, I mean, you need anything? You need me to get you a box of Kleenex or anything? No, I think I'm I'm going to make it. I mean, uh, I fully anticipate this will be the best show of both of our lives. Well, okay. Uh, I feel like maybe we're setting expectations a little too high. Uh, if you hear any kind of raspy, dying sounds, that's Chad Dundas. Just me breathing. Yeah. Just me breathing. Uh, if you hear any high-pitched whining sounds, that would be the dirt bike uh, recently purchased by one of the teenage neighbor kids. Oh, you didn't uh, tell me that. Right down the street. Yeah. That is wicked. Yeah, he's been riding it up and down the street pretty much all afternoon. He and his oh, friends have nice. been taking turns on it. Uh, apparently, they like dirt biking enough to annoy the shit out of their neighbors, but not enough to take it somewhere where you might actually do some dirt biking. So well, you got to get good before you yeah, take it out I there. I guess. I've just been sitting here hoping that they will crash it and get just hurt enough to decide to, to maybe put it in the garage for a little while. Well, you know when the best time to get really into dirt biking is? Right before winter sets yeah. in. Yeah, but hey, don't worry about it. They got a uh, backwards baseball cap on to protect the dome, so they're not going to get too seriously hurt. Yeah, I'm not too worried. Uh, This week's co-main event podcast, as usual, comes to you in three rounds after last week's somewhat harrowing excursion through the championship rounds. Round one this week, Stefan Bonner pulled a fairly sizable boner last week (laughs) when he tested positive for the steroid drostanolone at UFC 153. In round two... The World Series of Mismatches. Is there anything wrong with stacking the deck to ensure you get a bunch of cool finishes during your independent MMA promotions first show? We'll talk about it. And in round number three, Red Dawn. During the early morning hours of Saturday, November 10th, the US, UFC will broadcast its first show from the People's Republic of China. Sort of. Is that a big deal at all? All that, plus tips for the well-rounded fight fan and just saying stuff. But first, as always listener mail this week we put out the call for your questions comments concerns on the topic of mma uh, for this week's co-main event podcast and you responded in kind so the first question this week comes from patrick gustafson who asks i was thinking about what you said about matt hughes regarding his stints on the ultimate fighter what i mean is he lost some fans because of the way he acted on camera he came off as a bit of a bully and a holier than thou preacher of the Christ- of the christian belief huh christian belief if you think about it, isn't there a chance or risk is probably a better word that John Jones will come off the show looking even worse than he is now? Do you think that the UFC is taking a gamble with the showing John Jones on television? In my humble opinion, he has already shown he is pretty bad in front of a microphone or camera. Since he is the future of the light heavyweight division, it just seems too risky if you ask me. What do you guys think? Well, first of all, if we accept this uh, Patrick Gustafson's premise here that if you let John Jones in front of a camera with a microphone clipped to his shirt, uh, he's going to come off badly, and therefore that is too risky and you shouldn't do it. I mean, you can't approach this side of, uh, of fight promotions thinking, we can't let this guy talk to anybody because he'll fuck it up. 
Yeah, that would be bad. Yeah, for eventually. For a guy who is purported to be the, the face of your company moving right. forward. But also, though, I would say if he does come off poorly uh, and, you know, for whatever reason, and I could see how, maybe not in the same way of Matt Hughes, that he might come off poorly. John Jones has that kind of thing where he is so gifted and talented, he does not at times seem to realize that life is different for him than it is for everybody else. He's like, you know, I think in past mailbag articles I've compared him to that really smart kid in class who aces all the tests and then goes out on the playground and complains about how hard it is knowing all the answers at times, which just makes all the other kids hate him. He kind of does, he has that kind of element to him where he does not seem to realize um, that he lives on a, in a different universe than everybody else lives. Uh, but at the same time, if that makes everybody hate him, that's not necessarily a bad thing. That'll make people more interested in seeing him fight on some level. So, and it's not like he has some kind of squeaky clean golden boy image at this point anyway. So even if he does come off badly and it turns a lot of people off of him, they'll just want to see him get knocked out more and they'll keep buying the fights. Yeah. Uh, on one hand, I see Patrick's point here because I do think that there's at least a possibility that John Jones uh, acts a little bit sanctimonious and uh, appears to be a guy that fans continue to have a hard time connecting with when you put him on a full season of reality television. But I think he's got a couple of things going for himself uh, in this instance. And those are number one, you know, no one's going to out yell or out uh, peacock Chael Sonnen <laughs> on this upcoming season of the ultimate fighter. True. So you have to look somewhat like uh, understated and professional by comparison, you would think. Oh, okay. And two, even if John Jones does come off looking somewhat poorly, on this season of the ultimate fighter. It's not like it could really get any worse for him in terms of like how a lot of weird hardcore fans view him. So I I don't see that he can do a tremendous amount of damage to uh, a public persona that is already not accepted by a a, a large portion of people who consider themselves to be hardcore fans. And we're just ruling out the possibility here that he's going to do like Greg Jackson tells him and go get some fans. Maybe he'll get some fans here. That could happen too, man. You know, Question number two this week comes from Justin Manning. He says, I'd love to hear you rank the following from most to least likely to occur in 2013. A, Ronda Rousey fights in the octagon. B, we get to see Anderson Silva versus GSP or John Jones. C, Strikeforce folds into the UFC. D, the UFC pulls back on the number of FX and Fuel TV cards just to make the pay-per-views more stacked. Or E, Mayhem Miller finally admits to us that, yes, he's batshit crazy. <laughs> wow. Uh, well, I feel like... Uh, a couple of these things... Well, uh, Ronda Rousey is going to fight in the UFC in 2013. I'm pretty well, see, there's confident one, in saying A and that. C are pretty closely connected there. If C happens, then A will happen very shortly thereafter. Yeah, I, I think even if Strikeforce doesn't fold, I bet the UFC figures out a way to get that done. They just seem all about it right now. Well, I would say those two things are the most likely to happen. Ronda Rousey fighting in the UFC and Strikeforce folding in the U- into the UFC. Those seem like the things that need to happen the most. Uh, the next most likely thing, I would say, is Anderson Silva versus GSP or John Jones. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And I the end of 2013. I, I agree with that, especially since Dana White seems to have taken it on as a pers- personal mission, you know, right now. Everyone says that it can't be done, so I think he's going to he's gonna try to uh, do, do whatever it takes to make that happen. Um, yeah, I don't, you know, we've talked before about the, the whether this is the year that the UFC realizes they're doing too many shows. As for whether or not they will pull back on the number of FX and Fuel TV cards in 2013, 
I don't really see it happening. Nope. And I, even if they wanted to, I'm not. I don't know if they could do it yeah. because they've signed a deal with Fox that I, am, I assume guarantees this whole Fox family of networks a certain number of, of shows every year. Yeah, and see, that's the thing. Uh, if we're debating the likelihood between UFC pulling back on FX and Fuel TV cards or the likelihood of Jason Miller admitting that he is just batshit crazy, uh, Jason Miller does not have any contractual barrier to admitting that, that he is batshit crazy. Um, whereas you cannot say the same thing for the UFC with the FX and Fuel TV cards. So I think that is... Weirdly, the least likely thing to happen. The third question this week comes from Dakota Shepard. He asks, do you think that the UFC's semi-strict cutting policy has an effect on fighters pulling out due to injury? It seems like there's so much at risk that fighters don't want to chance not being 100%. And at this level, nobody is at 100% through tough fight camps. You know, that's a very good question. And I think that uh, there's something to that. And uh, for those of you who read the column or the, the article I wrote a few weeks ago, uh, maybe a couple of months ago now, I don't know, it all blends together, uh, talking about uh, matchmaking and how managers deal with the UFC when it comes to matchmaking. And Monty Cox, uh, who manages a ton of guys, he mentioned this about how uh, when you go to deal with the UFC, it kind of depends where your guy is at the time that, you know, if he's won a couple in a row and the UFC comes up and says, hey, how about stepping up and taking this fight? Then you think, okay, Let's let's give the UFC what it wants and let's stay on the good side here. But if your guy has lost two in a row and you know that the next one, if he loses it, that could be it. Maybe that's the one where you do pull back and say, wait a minute, we want to make sure we get a full fight camp that we're 100% going into it, and that if he gets injured, then you know he might be more likely to say, uh, you know, let's let's wait until the auspices are a little nicer before we jump into this. And and there's some logic to that. You know, I remember talking to. Uh, who uh, was Elliot Marshall after he had stepped up to get back in the UFC and had taken that fight with uh, Luis Kane on short notice uh, and lost it. And then he kind of knew after that, I can't do that again. You know, it's one, that's one way to get back in the UFC, but if you want to stick around, you've got to win some fights. Uh, the fighters are definitely aware of that, that there's a time when you can afford to take a risk and maybe take a loss, and there's a time when you can't. And that does play into their decision to pull out at times, I think. Yeah, I agree with you, and I think that... Uh... At this point, especially with the uh, DeMarcus Johnson situation that we saw recently, um, it seems a lot safer to not take the fight than to or take not it. even take the phone call. Yeah, not even take the phone call. Uh, who who did they cut? Was it a uh... Rich Antonito? Oh yeah, yeah, man, that's one where some caller ID might save your ass. Poor guy. Uh, well, that's it for listener mail proper this week. But yes. we do have a supplemental question that came in from a number of listeners, one of whom was uh, Ben Goldstein from over at Cage Potato, uh, demanding to know. The quote-unquote weird stuff that Ben's wife said to John Jones at last year's World MMA Awards. That's right. I mentioned it last week, knowingly and, sort of throwing yeah. the bait out there. Yeah, and ever the alert podcast listener uh, and good friend of the show, Ben Goldstein, he pounced right on that one and uh, threw down the gauntlet, absolutely demanded that uh, I tell the story on that one. Uh Unfortunately for, for you guys, I feel it's not quite as interesting as you're hoping it would be. What basically happened was, uh, first of all, at the MMA Awards, there's an open bar beforehand, um, which you know might just be bad news for some people. And you know, my wife, she, she's, she's not very big, doesn't, doesn't take too many drinks, uh, and, and she's well on the road to having a good time, uh, you know, could be said of many of us. Anyway, afterwards, we went up to the Playboy Club at the, the Palms Casino, 
uh, drank, I believe, all the whiskey in Las Vegas. Uh, then as we were leaving, we ran into John Jones and his girlfriend or wife. I, I forget if they're married or not. But they were kind of, at the end of the night, going back to their room. They He had a fight a couple weeks later, I think, against Leota Machida. So he wasn't drinking and had clearly just been like exhausted by all the attention paid to him that night. Um, but my wife felt passionate about one topic, and it was the entrance music he had used when he first came into the UFC. I don't know if you remember this, Chad, but when he fought Stefan Bonner, he came into a song by a band named Poe called Angry Johnny, which was a early, mid-90s indie rock song. Well, I remember the song. I don't remember if he used it, but I'll take your word for he it. He did use it, um, which is, that's the point where he made a fan out of my wife, because, you know, oh. it was like somebody, like, if a... a 14-year-old version of my wife could have chosen the entrance music for UFC fighters. That's what she would have chosen there. Uh, and he used it. But then, you know, it's, I don't think he ever used it again. And when she started talking to him about it and pretty much insisting that he go back to using it, uh, it seemed like maybe it was never his idea to begin with. Mm-hmm. Like maybe the US, somebody at the UFC had, had given him that one. He was very polite about it and was like, okay, yeah, no, I'll consider that. I'll consider using that again. Um, thing was, though, she wasn't asking. She was just telling. She was just telling that he. Well, it doesn't to use seem like she had a tremendous amount of sway with him because he has not, in fact, gone gone back to using that song yet. Yet, yeah. Good point. Good yeah. point. Yeah. So that's what happened there. I think you know she made a fair point. She made a valid point, and she stuck to her guns on it. And I like to think John Jones is still considering it. Well, there you go. There's the inside story. There's the hot scoop. And that will wrap up listener mail for this week. If you have a question for the podcast in future weeks, you can get in touch with us by going to our website, comaineventpodcast.com. Click the link at the top of the page that says email the podcast, and that will get the job done. As for us right now, we're going to go ahead and roll into round number one. Well, Ben, it would probably be inaccurate to say that anybody was surprised this past week when the guy who showed up looking shrink-wrapped and carved out of granite and tanned to a color that could probably best be described as Hulk Hogan orange at the beach in Rio de Janeiro. Is that where we were at? Yeah. What does the tan have to do with this? I mean, when you think you look good, you go out and get a tan, right? (laughs) Accentuate the muscles, right? Okay, all right. Uh, you can't tell me that you didn't look at those pictures of Stefan Bonner from that particular open workout or whatever it was, and something in the back of your mind maybe went, hmm, we'll have to see about this. Here's the thing, though. I did go, hmm, but I would have assumed, given the current climate, that if you were going to get a little extra help, you know, a little something to help a, help a young dinosaur out, you'd get testosterone. I was surprised... That it would be, you know, some kind of old school bodybuilder weight cutting steroid. Yeah, that was probably the most surprising thing about it. That's um, the easiest way to get caught is some some fucking steroids. The UFC doesn't even do, you know, and the commissions don't even do the kind of tests to detect the presence of synthetic testosterone as long as you can get your ratios within reasonable slash superhuman levels. So that would seem to be the easiest one to get away with. That's what's surprising. No, I agree with you. Maybe... uh Maybe Stefan Bonner's not doing as well financially as we assume that he might be. You're saying he can't afford the good stuff, the pure I mean, tea. From what we've heard, the guys who do the uh, cool bodybuilder drugs sometimes are the guys who can't afford the good stuff. Yeah, well, there may be something to that. Also, though, um, 
Okay, so it's a situation where he's taken the fight on relatively short notice. Right. Has to hurry to get in shape and to, to probably to get down to the appropriate weight. Sure. Uh, does the presence of this, the steroids here make you think that it was because of the short notice thing? Or does it make you think that Stefan Bonner is just usually on steroids because this is his second time being caught? And because of the short notice, he didn't have enough time to, to cycle off of them. Hard to know. Uh, I think as as one of the guys who got uh, David Neighbor quipped on, on Twitter, he's going to have those weigh-in pictures for the rest of his life, and <laughs> they can never take that away from him. No, they can't. Uh, you know, I, I don't really want to speculate about the reasoning behind why he would do it, because, frankly, I don't really care. Speculate. Like, a lot of people... Uh, Get your speculate on. A lot of people have been bringing up on Twitter and other places that, you know, this is just a weight cutting drug. So maybe it's not that big of a deal. Like some people have been kind of, uh, you know, trying, trying to sort of downplay the meaning of this. And to me, it's like, I don't even really care like what the use of the performance enhancing drug that you're using is. If you take it and it's on the list of stuff that you're not supposed to take, it's cheating. uh, And I don't really have any sympathy for you, no matter, you know, what it was for. So I don't know, uh, if, if, if this was a thing where Bonner took the fight on short notice and, and, felt like he needed a little extra help to get down to 205 maybe that was the case obviously the the other option the other speculation would be far more reaching and a little bit more damning to think that he was on steroids pretty much all the time well when we talk about the the where everybody will come out with their reason for why they were on steroids mm-hmm. if if they're going to cop to it at all uh, the first time Stephen Bonner got caught it was hey I had this injury this lingering injury and I, I couldn't couldn't get rid of it and I needed to get ready in time for the fight so I did this and you know I don't see why one explanation would be more acceptable than another. If it's, hey, I did it to deal with this injury, or hey, I did it so I can make weight in time. You're right. Either way, you're cheating. We put this stuff, there's some stuff on a list of stuff that we all agree we will not take. You took it. You knew your opponent was operating under the assumption that we don't get to take this stuff. That's cheating. Uh, regardless of whether you know puts the opponent at more risk, and I think it does, um, Still, if that's the, the thing about, like, we can all point to this, like, hey, there are these arbitrary lines, right? Like, this stuff is okay and this stuff isn't. But that's the way the rules work, that right. everybody has to agree to this stuff that you will not take it. You violated that rule. You cheated. Uh, and, therefore, deserve to be punished for it. That's my question, though. Yeah, is that, well, especially now, also, because no matter what you say, everyone's going to think you're lying yeah. anyway. So. And when you do it the second time, when you get popped the second time... That's when you go from, hey, maybe we give you the benefit of the doubt. You made a bad decision. You were desperate. You get caught the second time. That's when we start to think, compete clean? Yeah. Yeah. And, I mean, okay, but this, I think, is a different case. I think, And I think this one uh, kind of puts the UFC in a situation where it has to do something because, A, it's the UFC's own testing, that kind of stuff, right? Good for them doing their own testing, telling us who they catch, that kind of stuff. You know, we should at least pause and give them the minimal amount of credit for doing that. Sure. Yeah. No, it's great that they do that. I think when they go to uh, places that don't have commissions where they and, you know, because they, they're under, you know, no, certainly no legal obligation to do any of that stuff. Right. If they wanted to, they could just put the show on no matter what. Yeah. So. Um, but now here you've got Stefan Bonner, who has officially retired. So right. a suspension means dick. Right. Just it's it's a completely empty gesture at this point. He's not going to fight anymore, uh, regardless of, of what you do with the suspension. So, what do you do? Do you just say, "Well, hey, 
he kind of he gambled on the system there and, and realized that it wouldn't matter either way, and he took his shot, and, and now we get to all talk shit about him, but there's no real consequences. Or if you're the UFC, do you do your best to show that there are some consequences, like maybe remove him from his commentary gig, uh, maybe you know kind of push Stefan Bonner uh, out, of the, out of the public view either for a while or for good? What do you do? Yeah, I, I said somewhat facetiously on Twitter this week that if you're Stefan Bonner and you know beforehand that you're going to retire and you know that you're going to a place where your regulators have no legal authority over you, uh, why not take everything you possibly could, really? Because, you know, uh, they're not going to be able to do that much to you after the fight. But, yeah, I mean, I think you bring up a good point, and I think it's a point that, that speaks to a larger discussion that we might want to have as we g- get into the second half of this round about how on earth you could possibly clean the sport up at this point, because I think that what they need for this instance and, you know, what they need broadly in, in the sport at this juncture is a policy that makes it seem like there are real consequences to these guys for doing this. And, you know, whether it be Stefan Bonner, who's retired or, or whether it be his career, I think that these, you know, the only way you're going to get guys to, to, to stop doing this and I don't know if you're ever going to get everyone to stop doing it, but the only way you're going to really even cut down on guys who are, are using these kind of drugs is to for them to feel like there is a real deterrent. Because right yeah. now, as you say for Stefan Bonner, there really isn't one. No. Because, they, I mean, what are they going to do? Try to, try to like, take some money out of his purse? Well, I hope yeah. that they didn't pay him. I hope they haven't paid him yet, if that's <laughs> well, the, well, if that's the case. The thing. Well, usually when they fine you, it's like you can't get your license back until you pay that fine. If you're retired, you don't need your license back. Uh, so... You know, what the hell? Right. You can say I'm fine all that you want, but uh, unless you have some way to make me pay, then it doesn't matter. I think right now the most the, the most severe consequences to cheating are what's happening right now. We will talk shit about you. And that's the thing. And if you're Stefan Bonner, who was something like five and six over the last four or five years in the UFC, and you know that you're retiring, and you probably got paid pretty decent money for this fight— like, what do you care? Two guys on their podcast are going to talk shit about well, you. Some I, guys on the internet I are going to write some some columns. Like, I think it, it might be a, more damaging or more lingering than than just that. Because it is one thing where you could say, hey, fuck you guys on the internet. I don't care what you think. Say whatever you want. Uh, Stephen Bonner did, I think, just the same week or maybe the week before this news came out. He just had a child, right? How, if you just have your, your baby born... And then this news comes out that in the biggest opportunity of your career and the one that maybe we will remember the most about you uh, or we will remember the most about you right next to that Forrest Griffin, the first Forrest Griffin fight, uh, you were exposed as a cheater and a fraud. How are those two events not going to be somehow linked in your mind? And how about when your kid gets old enough to use the fucking Google, as I like to say, um, Google's dad and finds this stuff out, you know, like that kind of stuff, I do feel like... That hurts. That that's gonna linger with you. That that's gonna stick around and, and hover over your head. I just don't know if it hurts enough to serve as a deterrent because it requires you thinking so far into the future. It also requires you uh, assuming that you will get caught. And then because sometimes there are those situations where somebody gets caught doing it, and for whatever reason it just doesn't stick to them as much. And so the threat of like, hey, we're all gonna look at you differently. We're all gonna call you a cheater, and we're all gonna question you even after you're gone, maybe wouldn't seem as damaging to them and therefore maybe wouldn't be enough. I mean, maybe, would it, my question is, would it be enough if 
you felt like the UFC was coming down harder on these dudes themselves. Honestly, I think that's the only thing that can happen. I think that's the only thing that would that would have any teeth because uh, the state athletic commissions are sort of going to do what they're going to do. You know, they're uh, they're governmental bodies and they're going to you know stick to whatever their policy is. I think that the real answer here in in terms of how to clean up the sport and really clean it up has to come from the UFC because you know whether they bargained on having this uh having this authority or having this 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 heaped upon them you know they they get it because they're the the biggest organization in the sport and i think that the responsibility sort of falls on them to do something about this and i think you're going to have to have some kind of language written into the standard ufc contract that everybody signs that says hey you test positive once this happens to you you test positive twice this happens to you you test positive three times you're fired pretty much uh, and I think it's going to have to be severe. I think that, that I wouldn't really quibble with the, a first offense, meaning that you, you lose your entire purse, that it goes to your opponent. Like, I mean, think that is the kind of uh, deterrent that you're going to need to get guys to stop doing this because clearly what is what they're doing now isn't working. Yeah. Or, you know, just other financial ramifications. For instance, if because of this second positive test, the UFC says, Stefan Bonner will never get another commentating gig associated with us or any of our TV partners again for the rest of his natural life, then you're hitting the guy in the pocketbook. And you're also saying, you know, we the UFC are not going to put a cheater up there to represent the company and, and to serve as an analyst, uh, which, I mean... Well, I mean... <laughs> They got Chael Sonnen up there okay, now. Okay, and there's the problem. <laughs> but then that, doesn't that even create a more difficult like picture for you if somebody tunes in on a Fuel TV post-bite show and you got Chael Sonnen and Stefan Bonner sitting there uh, and you know with, with Jay Glazer in between them and you look at, well, I've got two fighters up there and both of them have been popped for PEDs. What does that tell you about the UFC's commitment to stamping that stuff out? Because I know how Dana White will do. He'll say, uh, the government's responsible for this stuff. It's the, what else can you do to a person? You know, we, we, we suspend them, fine them, punish them. And again, good for the UFC for doing their testing and for telling us about it. Because I'm sure the temptation must have been there when they caught Stefan Bonner and be like, eh, maybe we could just sweep this one under the rug. He's not going to fight again anyway. Uh, you know... They didn't do it. They put it out there. Good for them. But if you really want to show that the UFC does not tolerate this stuff rather than that the UFC sees it as a, you know, an inconvenience and annoyance, then don't put those guys on TV as representatives of your brand. Yeah, it, it starts and ends with them, I think. And, and also with, a, you know, a, a more a more widespread effort on the part of fighters themselves. We've seen some of it in terms of guys signing up for VADA and, and trying to get involved with some volunteer testing practices. But there needs to be more of that, and there needs to be a, a more uh, comprehensive, I think, policy from the UFC. Anyway, that wraps up our discussion in round number one. Coming up next, the most ante anticipated, probably, uh, uh, segment of the week, the world's foremost theatricalist, Sir Nigel Longstock, is coming in to lead us all in another episode of Master Tweet Theater, and that starts right now and now master tweet theater and now we welcome back to the podcast your friend and ours noted theatricalist sir nigel longstock sir nigel how are you good day to you sir 
And for those of you who are well aware of the practices of the Co-Main Event Podcast, this is the segment where Sir Nigel will read to us five tweets from somebody in the MMA community, not necessarily a fighter. Chad and I will try and guess who they are and probably embarrass ourselves in the process. Uh, Sir Nigel, are you ready? I am ready, sir. Are you? I, I guess. Chad, are you ready? All right, bring the thunder, Sir Nigel. <clears throat> Let us begin. <laughs> Tweet the first. Hashtag The Walking Dead. Wow. That is all I have to say. Wow. So intense and emotional. Hashtag Tearjerker. Whoa. Chad, I'm not familiar with the TV show The Walking Dead. Uh, I mean, I know what it is. Uh, I also am not familiar with who might be following it and having their tears jerked out of their faces on Twitter. Y- you want to go first on this one? Yeah, I have some knowledge on this subject, but I don't know who that is uh, for sure. But I am going to guess Loretta Hunt. Huh. Huh. Interesting. We're getting into MMA media members here. Uh, You know, I'm going to guess Joe Benavidez. Hmm. Both fine guesses, gentlemen. Both, as usual, wrong. It is, in fact, Joey Beltran. Joey Beltran. Wow. Moved by the sight of a desiccated corpse stumbling about after taking enormous quantities of damage. <clears throat> what are you suggesting? Nothing. Not at all, sir. Who has not been moved by the zombie? Well, all right. I, I guess that took a direction I wasn't anticipating. But go on. Let's, let's go to the next tweet. <clears throat> tweet the second. Starkinthians218. If your style is freestyle, you fucked, son. (laughs) I got this one because it is one of my all-time favorite Twitter accounts. That would be GFK on MMA, the Ghostface Killer talking MMA. Am I right or am I right? Yeah, that's got to be who that is. Yes, gentlemen, it is, in fact, Ghostface Killer on MMA. Perhaps not the real Ghostface Killer. What? Well, I mean, it's possible he wears many masks. Yeah, Uh, and for those of you out there... Even if you don't have a Twitter account, it's worth creating one just to follow GFK on MMA. Trust me on this one. All right. Tweet the third. I once saw an Asian cover band in Las Vegas singing the Eagles' Hotel California, and I thought, hey, look, it's Don Hen Lee, asterisk, California. Oh, wow. Yes, sir. Wow. Yes, sir. <sighs> Chad, you want to go first here? Uh, I am going to go with Namfan. Okay. Well, that's one way to go is that you can go with it with an Asian person who knows that they can make all the kind of racist generalities they want. That's the direction I hope we're going. Okay. Well, I'm going to go a different direction. I'm going to say it's got to be a man with nothing to lose. Uh, and I'm going to say Jason Mayhem Miller. Huh. Both fine guesses, both as usual wrong. It is, in fact, Sean Big Anglo McCorkle. Well, then my reasoning is still sound. That's a man with nothing to lose. I would, there, you know, there is a short backstory to this tweet that I would like to share by, with you. By all means. Mr. McCorkle's tweet immediately before this one was, My next tweet will be number 7,000. Hmm. Six hours later, <laughs> he tweets, Hotel California. <laughs> So you're saying that he realized he was coming up on a milestone, took some time to really think of a good one, and then laid it on us. An act of extremely not casual, casual racism. (laughs) 
Well, see, this is the kind of stuff that you get on the Master Tweet Theater. You get some backstory into what might be going on in Sean McCorkle's head. An actor prepares, sir. <clears throat> Tweet the fourth. He once stole KFC from a black man and outran him. He is at Duke Skywalker. Okay, what are we doing here? It's a theme. <laughs> well, the, the really racist theme, I guess, is appropriate for uh, election week. Because uh, I guess, you know, you know, you know there's some, some racist stuff being bantered about by somebody's grandparents uh, all over watching the election results this week. Uh, man, I mean, I feel like by even guessing stuff, I'm kind of complicit in the racism here. I, I don't know what to do. You know, I guess I'm going to go with somebody who I know will, will dip his toe in these waters. Uh, Eve Edwards, Doug Jitsu master. Huh. That's that's the best I can do. I'm just scared of this one. I don't even want to touch it. Yeah, uh, Quentin Jackson. I don't know. See, that's racist. <laughs> well, gentlemen, get ready to have your minds blown. It is the poet Philip Baroni. Oh, fuck you! Hereafter to be known as the racist Philip Baroni. Wait, god damn it! You don't even want to know whom Duke Skywalker is. I do, but I kind of don't. He is an adult film producer, sir. Known for his racially charged adult films. Is that true? That, as, as near as my research will indicate, yes. He has made several, several films that have various puns in the title that have to do with black women. <laughs> well, Chad, I feel like uh, neither one of us could have possibly foreseen this, but... Things have certainly taken a turn yeah. that we did not anticipate. It's gotten weird. Gotten weird at Master Tweet Theater. I guess bring us on home here. To be fair, the majority of the poet's tweets are still about how he wants Thai food. <laughs> <laughs> Tweet the fifth. Fuck an election. That shit don't matter. But all y'all have to vote yes on Prop 37. That's important as a motherfucker. Huh. Ugh. Uh... Would it be fair for us, you know, like how spelling bee kids get to ask you to use it in a sentence, can we ask what Prop 37 is? Yes, Proposition 37 is the California ballot initiative that would require labeling, labeling of genetically modified foods, sir. And this person wanted us to vote which way on that? Uh, he wants to vote yes, because that is as important as a motherfucker. Okay, okay. Um, hmm. Somebody who does not care about an election but does care about the consequences of an election and the most important thing they can think of is something that's important as a motherfucker. I'm going to say War Machine. I think I'm going to go Joe Rogan here. Okay, well, Sir Nigel? My God, you've got it. It is War Machine. Oh, yeah! Who would have guessed War Machine? I would have guessed War Machine. I, I put the pieces together. And frankly, Chad, I think you insult Joe Rogan. I think the fix is in here. I'm not sure where you came up with that oh, okay. war machine. Okay, when I finally get one, after months and months of fucking trying, then it, the fix is in. Who, who hears MMA and thinks war machine? I ask you, <laughs> sir. Well, I feel like uh, in what was probably the weirdest master tweet theater ever, it's only fitting that a weird result should, should come out of it, and that is me actually knowing what the fuck I'm talking about for a change. 
So, Nigel, what have you got going on? Well, it's funny you should ask. I have, in fact, been involved in the Broadway revival of Hello, Listeners, to the CME podcast. What are you doing? I have hijacked this question in order to divert attention to an important issue. Don't worry. Ben cannot hear us. I hear every word you're saying. Don't worry. Ben cannot understand what we are saying. I have come before you tonight to talk about an important issue in the MMA community, and that is Ariel Helwani and his nomination for MMA Journalist of the Year. Many people regard Ariel Helwani as a skilled and responsible journalist. Other wonder why, others wonder why he has failed to address the issue of purchasing cigarettes for children, something Mr. Helwani has never denied doing in a public forum. <laughs> if you feel strongly about purchasing cigarettes from children and you are against it, as Ariel Helwani has not said that he is not, donate to the Sir Nigel Super PAC. Hashtag Sir Super PAC. Don't, don't give this man any money. You can make the checks out directly to me. That's a Sir terrible Nigel idea. and Sir Super PAC are one and the same, <laughs> and we both care about freedom. I would like it noted that I am not coordinating with this Super PAC in any way, and unlike uh, politicians, I actually mean that. Of course not. Sir Super PAC on Twitter. <laughs> Thank you, Sir Nigel, for coming on and freaking us all the fuck out. You're welcome, sir. That was Master Tweet Theater. Man, as I sit here, I cannot believe that you grabbed War Machine out of thin air and, and nailed it. Believe it. I don't know, man. It seems like some monkey business is going on between you and Sir Nigel Longstreet. How dare you? <laughs> How dare you sit there after you've seen months and months of failure on my part? Then I get one. I, I, I take a shot, knock it out of the park, and now you're gonna try you're gonna try and take that away from me? Like you're trying to take away Stefan Bonner's tanned weigh in photos? No, I Oh guess. no, sir. Oh no. Alright, I guess I give you the benefit of the, of the doubt in this case. I guess it, I just got so used to the failure that the the crushing home run hit me pretty hard there at Good. the end of that round. Good. It's a new day. We saw the debut of the World Series of Fighting over the weekend, Ben. Uh Unbeknownst to me, I no longer get the NBC Sports Network, so I was unable to watch live, but I did go back and, and check out all the fights from the main card after they were posted on the internets. Wait, wait, did you find this out when you sat down on Saturday night to try and watch the World no, Series I, of Fighting? I, I figured it out a, a day or two before. I was, you were watching some Breeders' Cup coverage? Yeah, it just went out right in the middle of the cup, man. <laughs> no, I, uh, I started to wonder, since I've never... since. After I stopped working for NBC Sports, I never really bothered to check whether or not I still got the channel. Uh, so I decided to go back and, and see if I had it because I had this inkling in the back of my mind. I don't recall seeing this on my dial, you know, as I'm flipping around and, and, and I didn't get it, but well, didn't let think, that stop me. I think we've learned that if you want to get Chad Dundas to watch your cable network, all you have to do is hire him as a paid <laughs> contributor and then he will care enough to actually find out if he has your channel. Yeah, several have done that in the past, and it's never <laughs> turned into a long-term relationship, but I will pay attention for a while. Uh, I would give the World Series of Fighting probably like a B-, minus. I would say, in terms of the, this inaugural show by them. I thought for the most part it was pretty good. Uh, production value was wise. It looked really good. Um, I've always kind of liked Todd Harris as a broadcaster, going back to the old uh, WEC days when he used to handle that on Versus. He's not a guy that is going to uh, blow your mind with anything, but I think he's 
he's not going to be really obtrusive either. Yeah, you know? he's, he's not going to fuck up. He's just going to call the fight and do a professional job, and, yeah. and you might not even notice that he's there. Yeah, he's like in that way, he's like the anti-Michael Chavello, who is yes. going to make sure that you know he is there yes. because he feels he is 90% of the show. So aside from, uh, I guess, the snafu of not showing all of the prelims on the on the web stream, things went off pretty well for the World Series of Fighting. Yeah. Uh, but it was also, I feel like, kind of an enigmatic debut for them. I feel like we... we are maybe not a hundred percent sure what to expect from them moving forward just because, you know, they had some recognizable names on there uh, on the show, but, but I don't know if you felt this way, but after watching the card, I felt like, man, they really set up these fights to make sure that the guys that they wanted to win won. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, you almost want to give them a little bit of a pass on some of that because, Hey, you're starting out this new promotion. You got a few named guys that you know, you want to build in the future. Uh, yeah, you don't. Maybe you're thinking we don't want to put them in really tough fights right off the bat when we're paying for airtime. You know, we want to show them doing something awesome so that then maybe somebody is willing to pay us to see what they'll do next in a tough fight. I get that kind of logic, even though it there's something that always feels a little gross about a mismatch so blatant in a sport where uh, a mismatch might equal brain damage. Yeah. So that's always a little weird to, to watch. Um, yeah, and let's be honest, uh, Devin Cole and DJ Linderman and Travis Bartlett, they looked like dudes you would pull off of a road crew. Devin Cole is the most legit of that bunch by far. No, sure, yeah, absolutely. But, but Travis I mean, Bartlett came out there, that and that guy, he walks out there, takes his shirt off and bounces around and everything is, he looks like the before picture in a Bofex ad, you know? <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm just saying, if you saw Bartlett, Linderman and Cole sitting at the next table at Buffalo Wild Wings... You wouldn't look at them and be like, oh, three professional fighters are sitting next to me <laughs> yeah. right now. Okay, that's true. Yeah, and the, the Bartlett one, definitely, it was like, well, who can, you know, and that we heard before that a lot of people did not want to fight Tyron Spong, but a lot of people turned it down. But that's one where, okay, who can we get who is going to stand there and get kicked in his head? Okay, this guy will do it for fucking $4,000, too. Uh, this is one, I think, where you can look at the payouts and tell a lot about uh, what the promoters were thinking. Because in all the main card bouts, I think, except for the Miguel Torres bout, which was something of an upset for him to lose that, that fight against uh, Marlon Moraes. But uh, you look at you know Tyrone Spong, he makes 20000 guaranteed against Travis Bartlett, who made 4000 guaranteed. Anthony Johnson made 30000 guaranteed show money against DJ Linderman, who made 10000 uh, Andre Arlovsky makes 30000 step in the cage against Devin Cole, who makes 10000 I mean, you can look at that and say... Uh, obviously, the World Series of Fighting has has picked their show horses there. Uh, everybody else, you know, they're there because you can't have a fight with just one person. And because we want to see somebody get knocked out and something awesome happen. Yeah, and I guess the question is, does that bother you? Because it bothers me a yeah. little bit. Like when I see... Uh People, people on the social media after the the Anthony Johnson DJ Linderman knockout, which admittedly great knockout, yeah, you know, and and the circumstances uh, certainly made it even a little bit more impressive. But like when a couple of days later, people are still talking about what an awesome knockout it was. I always just feel like, man, but against who? Like, yeah, yeah. I mean, like if I were to fight Anthony Johnson, he could probably do some crazy shit that he would never be able to do against a, a legit pro fighter now that you mention it i would pay to see that i bet you would i bet you would uh but uh you know unlike anthony johnson i think i could probably make 170 uh, Whoa, yeah, that's right oh, that's right. i went there uh but yeah it, you know strike force used to do this that that similar kind of thing though before the zufa purchase where you could depend on a couple 
couple of mismatches on, on a lot of strike force cards that were going to result in in awesome finishes and awesome knockouts. Um, but yeah, I, I guess I give you a little bit of a pass if you're the World Series of Fighting here to to do this at the very beginning. It also though does seem weird where. Like when you're watching the broadcast, uh, and I don't know, I mean, you watch the fights, but you probably didn't watch the actual broadcast where uh, almost all the ads, it seemed, were for members of the Black Zillions. Oh, no, uh, I missed that. Yeah. Like they are all, it was Anthony Johnson ads and, and all, all kinds of, and Rashad Evans. It was always like these, these Jayco ads for the Black Zillion team members. And then, you know, you have one of the guys from the Black Zillions go out there and get a very friendly matchup. Uh, it does seem just a little weird. Like, I mean, that's not what this sport is supposed to be about. I mean, it's cool. You know, we all love knockouts and those are fun highlight things, but that's not what the sport is. It's not supposed to be like, let's put one guy in way over his head so that we can see something awesome happen. It's supposed to be like the best competitions that we can find. You know, it's not like, it'd be like if you had a, a tennis event where you purposely, you know, rig the, the brackets so that like, oh, well, you know, hey, if, if Federer got to play some chump, he could do a lot of stuff where he's like shooting balls between his legs and like with his eyes closed and he could play. You I, know. Would, I would still not watch that. Yeah, well, neither would I. But, uh, you know, that's that's not what we're supposed to be doing here. Right. The weird part was that they had like the more uh, competitive matchups were all in the undercard. Yeah. Like a Gerald Harris versus Josh Berkman, I feel like, is a perfectly acceptable matchup for uh, a, a fight organization of this size. Yeah. And it seems a little bit strange to like maroon that on the undercard when you're just going to bring out a bunch of guys nobody has ever heard of for the express purpose of getting knocked out on the uh, on the main card. We also have to wonder like how, okay, for a fight organization of this size, it's like how do you how do you scratch out a living? Because what do we want? Like, it's got to be what the guys that we know from the UFC who are not in the UFC for one reason or another anymore. Uh, I mean, why are people showing up to see this? Why are they buying tickets? Why are they staying home to watch it? Especially at a time when the UFC has so many goddamn shows uh, of its own, you know, how are like, it's got to be tough to find an identity there. And that's what I feel like the world series of fighting is kind of lacking right now. Like Bellator has, you know, I don't want to say gimmicky thing of the tournament. It's gimmicky. You can okay. say it. But, I mean, I, I, I gimmicky, and I mean that in the best way. It's a different kind of thing that it has to, to sell itself on. You know, Invicta has, like, it's all, all women's fighting. you got to have something. Because you can't just be like, hey, these are the guys that, uh, you know, couldn't make it elsewhere or are hoping to someday make it to that point. And, you know, we've got them either on their way down or their way up. Uh, like that doesn't seem like enough. You got to have some other kind of thing, you know. You got to have an arena football league type appeal to get people to watch. Uh, and it seems like that's what the World Series of Fighting is missing. As we pointed out last week, it's not really a World Series in any meaningful sense, other than that there is more than one of them, but they are not connected to to each other in any way. So, what is it? It's like you can't just tell people like, hey, you know the UFC? This is like that, only not quite as good. Right. You want to come down well, and watch it? Yeah, and leading up to this event, I feel like the most people that like the the biggest hype around this event was about Tyrone Spong, right. and and so I feel like that's something that's a commodity that they have right now that they really need to exploit. And I would rather see you know now that we've seen him come out and knock this guy out really impressively, now get him a fight. Like yeah. now get him a fight against someone uh, legitimate, and I will watch it, and I will you know not think that it is a shittier version of something that I could be getting from the UFC. I feel like. If you're the World Series of Fighting and you want to put on, you want to be a legitimate organization, that's your niche kind of 
try to catch these guys like Arlovsky that are either on the way down or I think more more excitingly uh, catch Tyrone Small on the way up. Yeah, and that is the thing I, I referred to this in my uh, my post event column that this World Series of Fighting is, is what we could call a, a staircase organization yeah. where it's just guys on the way up or the guys on the way down. And there's a limited appeal to that. I mean, it's a lot more interesting for people to see the guys they think on the way up. You know, it has that kind of like, you know, hey, I saw so-and-so in the, in the minor leagues, the way you're still talking about dudes you saw play for the Missoula Osprey. Uh, who, yeah, Lyle Overbay, <laughs> Jose Valverde. Yeah, see? The big potato, Jose Valverde. <laughs> I still don't know who that is, but okay. Uh, or, you know, people are talking about, oh, I saw Guns N' Roses on the Sunset Strip back when nobody knew who they were. I mean, there that's there's an appeal to that. But when it's guys like Arlovsky where you're like, hey, do you remember him from the UFC in 2004? Yeah, he's still around. Uh, you know, that there's a limited appeal there for that. So you, you can't stake everything there. Well, before we get into uh, round number two, is this round number two? This is round this number is two. This is round number two. Yeah, it's we're hitting cold into round medicine, number three. Man, the cold medicine. Yeah, no, because you never make that mistake otherwise. <laughs> Let's do uh, tips for a well-rounded fight fan. The part of the show where Ben and I re- relate to you, the listener, something that we've read or seen or done recently that we feel that you might enjoy as, might enjoy as well. Uh, ben, did you, uh, did you bring one this I week? I did bring one. Okay. Uh, no doubt those of you who are, who are plugged in to the, the arts and culture and movie scene will have heard of uh, the film Cloud Atlas. Uh, starring Tom Hanks and Halle Berry, uh, which is a movie adaptation of David Mitchell's novel, uh, which is awesome. Uh, But I'm not going to recommend the novel Cloud Atlas to you right now, because maybe I already have. I'm not sure. But I mean, oh, it's, now who's having trouble remembering yeah. stuff? Well, it's it's an awesome novel. Um, I the kind of novel where it's so awesome that I almost don't want to see the movie because I know there's no way it can be as good. I feel yeah, like that movie's not going to be any good. Yeah, come on. I feel like it's just going to destroy something that I really enjoyed. So instead, I will take this opportunity to recommend another David Mitchell novel, uh, the novel Black Swan Green, uh, which is uh, and this is going to sound lame, a kind of coming of age tale uh set in england and it is english as fuck to the point where a lot of words and sentences i have to figure out in context because you know who knows what the english are saying at any point but it's awesome because david mitchell is an awesome writer uh and can get you interested in just about anything as cloud atlas uh will attest um if you like cloud atlas either the movie or the book or or both uh you should definitely check out black swan green uh and uh I'm telling you, you'll be glad you did. Uh, my tip this week is is for the Ken Burns uh, PBS documentary on Prohibition, which uh, you might remember Ken Burns if, like me, you went to uh, middle school and high school in a state where you feel like you watched that goddamn Civil War documentary like 300 times. Yeah. In, He's the uh, dude who does the like, history slow class. pan in and out of photographs, yeah, right? Yeah, like the, yes, yeah. the sort of sweeping pans over photographs while, while famous actors read quotes and stuff like that. The Prohibition one, which my wife and I just watched uh, a week or so ago, is really awesome. It's in three hour and a half long parts and you really come to realize how little you actually know about that time and 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 all the stuff that was going on then it touches a little bit on the on the underworld scene which i feel like is the is the thing that we probably all know the most about but also just about the 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 social factors coming in and and a lot of the the stuff surrounding it it's it's very good very well done i enjoyed the hell out of it so uh go out and and pick yourself up 
Prohibition by Ken Burns, which I think you can stream on Netflix or yeah, uh, nobody's going out to pick that up. Yeah, I guess I mean, go down to Blockbuster. Yeah, and rent go, that. Go, go to, don't yeah, keep it too get long. Get in your time machine and go to a video store. I believe it's available for streaming on Netflix, and we watched it on uh, Amazon streaming video, so I know it's on there. So there you go. Anyway, that's it for round number two. We're heading into <laughs> round number three right now. Round three. Chad, this Saturday morning, 7 a.m. our time, the one true time zone, uh, the, the mountain time, the UFC brings us UFC on Fuel TV, Rich Franklin versus Kung Lee, straight out of Macau, 7 a.m. Saturday. I assume you're going to show up at my house unannounced, uh, hopefully this time bringing some donuts and coffee since it is 7 a goddamn M. Oh, I'll be here. Thermos full of hot chocolate. Yeah. Uh, I don't want to miss that uh, Tequan Zhang John Tuck n- matchup no that's going to kick off the broadcast. No, you do not. Uh, but hey, we, we love us some live sporting events around here, so we're getting up, we're watching the, the goddamn thing, uh, and then moving on with the rest of our day. What do you make of this? I mean, here's one where you, you tell me about, hey, some fights are just fun fights, man. We're just, these are fun fights. This is a fun fight. Rich Franklin and Kung Lee, that's yeah, a fun fight. Yeah, Not I, a whole lot else going on there, right? No, I mean, I would be a lot more excited about its relative funness if I didn't believe that Kung Lee was coming in with a foot that was not 100%. I think he said this week he feels like he's going to come in with it at 80%, which probably means like 65. Hey, he's got two feet. <laughs> That's true. He does have two feet. Um, yeah, I, I, it's, this, is a, this is a strange event. I know that the UFC really wants to uh, forge a future for itself, both in China and in India, coming up this next year. Uh, Macau, Macau, only Chinese or only part of the People's Republic of China, sort of by definition, you know, it was a like, I believe, a Portuguese colony until 1999. The same thing happened to Macau that happened to uh, Hong Kong. It reverted back to uh, Chinese rule. And, I, and it's not really like governed by anything really Chinese for like 50 years or something weird like that. But they got a bunch of casinos and shit there, right? Yeah. That's so, Sheldon Adelson has, has got all up in there. Yeah, it's a big gambling and uh, tourism place, so you understand where the UFC fits in. It, it's, uh, you know, go there and do your do your live sporting event. It'll be interesting, I think, just to see if uh, if that area of the world, China and India, really takes to the UFC and, and, and MMA because it kind of seems like the UFC is really banking on Well, not necessarily banking on it, but really counting on that, that that's going to be a big market for them. Well, it's also kind of weird that... Dana White had Kung Lee penciled in for this immediately following his win over Patrick Cote. Kung Lee gets wheeled in in a wheelchair and into the press conference after that win over Patrick Cote and starts talking about, well, I'd like to take a few months off and kind of relax and reevaluate. And Dana White bursts in there and is like, well, actually, we were thinking about you know, having him on the, the fight card in China. And Kung Lee said when I talked to him, hey, I thought there was no way. When I first heard him say that, there was no way I was going to be able to make that. Um, but then, you know, he does all this crazy bloodletting rehab on his foot and thinks, okay. Leeches, right? He did some <laughs> leeching. Pokes a bunch of holes in his foot, sucks the blood out. I'm really not sure on the science behind that one. Uh, but uh, then he feels like, okay, that he can make it. Um, but it's like, Kung Lee's not Chinese. No, man, they are really ballparking it. On yeah. Like a bunch of these guys. The only one from China 
is Tiquan Zhang. He's the only Chinese fighter. Yeah. I'm looking at the and card right now. And not from that part of China either. No, they've got uh, uh, Takanori Gomi is on here. He, of course, Japanese. You've got uh, <laughs> Dong Young Kim, Korean. Uh, you got Ricky Fukuda, also Japanese. Uh, Takeya Mizugaki, also Japanese. And uh, Yasuhiro Yurosh... I can never say this guy's name. Yuroshitani. See, and also that seems Japanese. like... I don't know exactly what the thought process is. Is it like a kind of thing where, like... Uh, you know, if you're from Louisiana and you move to California and you're at like a cocktail party and like somebody can't wait to introduce you to their friend who's from Georgia. Hey, you're all Southerners, right? You're all Southerners away from home. So you must have some shit to talk about, even though you're like, yeah, I don't really have any more in common with this person than I do with the person from Oregon. So, you know, we're not from the same place. Yeah. It would be like if you tried to do a show here in Montana with a bunch of fighters from like Minnesota and, uh. Yeah. Alberta. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and I don't know if the thinking is that, like, hey, the, the crowd that shows up, if you just show them some guys that look Asian, they'll be like, okay, I'll root for that guy. Uh, or if it's just that, you know, maybe some... Because if you look, there, there's people from all over the place. It's not just Asian fighters. You've got some Brazilians, you've got some Americans. Uh, you know, maybe the idea is to show that, hey, this is an international thing. we got fighters from all over the world. Uh, you can get into this too. It's not just a bunch of American dudes beating the hell out of each other. And maybe there's something to that. I don't know. It just seemed odd to fixate so much on Kung Lee, you know, a Vietnamese American dude, like who he has, to, he's got to be on there. Yeah. And a guy by his own admission, who is probably not going to be around for that much longer. Right. Like he's yeah. sort of he's 40. Yeah. And he is, he's been pretty honest. I think in the past saying that, that he's not really sure how long he's going to continue to compete and uh, he, he's got some, some movie stuff in the works. I think he's been in some movies in China, right? I think that's, I think that's part of where his movie career was sort of taking off. And maybe that's why uh, you, they view him sort of as, as the draw that they want at the top of this card. Um, hey, Rich Franklin was in that movie with the girl from Saved by the Bell. Right? Are you talking about Universal Soldier? Whatever. You know that thing got pirated in China? They got DVDs of that sitting around there somewhere. Well, I'm looking at the poster. It doesn't say anything about Universal Soldier 2 on there. It's Universal Soldier. I'm sure it was seen all <laughs> over the universe, Chad. There is a picture of Bruce Lee on this poster, though, also, which is a little bit strange. But uh, no, man, I, I, I don't know. It, it just it seems like uh, once you put the total package together, that it, it's a, a strange card with a, a, a fun fight main event that is going to be on TV at 7 o'clock in the morning here in Montana. Seven o'clock uh, on Fuel morning. TV. Are I'm we going to do the thing? Here's what I think we should do. Remember in the old days when we were grad students at the University of Montana and when there would be a big Grizzly football game, maybe the Grizz versus the Cats from Montana State, uh, and I would show up at, at your apartment at 7 or 8 a.m. with a bunch of Red Bull and vodka mm -hmm. and you know maybe some 40s of Old English. You're saying we should tailgate this. I'm saying maybe... Maybe you and I just get crazy and we, for, we just uh, forget about the, even the notion of consequences uh, the way that we might have been able to maybe more so uh, when we were younger. Or and, if we were professional fighters. And we just go on. And we just go with it. Yeah. We just, we just go with it and we see what happens. I'm into it, man. I, I don't know if you've heard. I've got some health concerns going on right now. <laughs> but uh, as, long as, I can, as long as I can get right and, uh, and feel like I'm at 100%, I'll be over here with my thermos full of hot cocoa and... Uh, yeah, maybe some like peppermint schnapps or something. Jesus fucking Christ. Just something guaranteed to make you throw up. <laughs> well, I mean, I guess, hey, 
Kung Lee and Rich Franklin, they're getting older. We're getting older. Yeah. You know, we they can't really do it like they used to, but they're going to give it their best shot. So I feel like we owe them the same. Well, when you put it like that, yeah, it starts to sound like they're a real inspiration yeah. for a couple of guys like us. All right, let's do it. Yeah, let's, fuck We'll yeah. just get crazy this and we really can, early Saturday morning. And we can report back to the listeners of the podcast. I assume by the time we record the podcast on Monday evening, you will still be hungover because... Listeners of the podcast might not know this, but Chad Dundas gets more hungover than any human being alive. That's true. That's a true story. It's it's a really remarkable thing to see. Actually, it's it, you know you couldn't get this hungover if you tried, uh, and it just comes naturally to Chad. No, yeah, it's one of my uh, one of my major strengths as yeah. a human being, as a, a person. Superpower, one might even call uh, it. Yeah, I would I would definitely put it in the classification of superpowers. Yeah, yes. and hey, man, this is just a fun fight. Like obviously, <laughs> you know. Kung Lee, not going to fight for a title. Rich Franklin, not going to fight for a title. But they both want to hang around, keep keep pocketing some checks, have a good time, put on a good show. And honestly, like we can say what we want about their degrading skills, but I feel like this will be a fun fight to watch at roughly 9 o'clock in the morning, already really drunk and the headache coming on. Well, yeah, now I'm excited. I have to admit, <laughs> when we started the round, I wasn't that excited about this event. Now I am. Yeah. So congratulations to you. Yeah, and it'll be really exciting when it's noon and we've got our shirts off downtown. Yes, yeah, and probably are already passed out. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, let's do uh, Just Saying Stuff, and then we'll get out of here. Okay. Uh, my Just Saying Stuff for this week is, I love UFC primetime. It is consistently my favorite UFC promotional tool. Mm-hmm. But having watched the first episode of UFC Primetime, St. Pierre versus Condit this past week, I feel like we're starting to spread ourselves a little thin on this whole primetime thing after I had to watch long segments about Fabi's like five-year-old son farting in the car and uh, (laughs) Mike Winklejohn losing an eye during kickboxing training. By the way, gross. That was a gross story. (laughs) It's not what I tuned in to UFC Primetime to hear. I just feel like either A... Maybe we've had GSP on this show a few times too often. Yeah, he's been on like what three or four times. And also Carlos Condit, who was just on before he fought uh, uh, Nick Diaz. Carlos felt, Conduit. You mean? Carlos Conduit. Yeah, I felt like this episode of UFC Primetime pretty much said exactly the same things about Carlos Condit that they did the last time, where they showed him like taking his kids to school and stuff. So I don't know, man. E- either we need to find some new. Uh, some new uh, subject matter for these prime times, or or maybe we're just maybe we're just not excited as excited as we thought we were for GSP Carlos Condit. I don't know, man. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. I'm just saying that if you want to feature Alistair Overeem in a supplement ad during the World Series of Fighting broadcast on NBC Sports, maybe don't show Alistair Overeem who is currently sitting out because of his illegal use of a performance-enhancing substance, jacking a bunch of weight in the gym while trying to sell me on some supplement that you say he uses, when we all know what supplement he really uses, if he really only used some bullshit fucking powder that you're trying to sell me out of a GNC, he wouldn't be suspended right now. He'd have a license to fight, and he'd be making money rather than, you know, showing up in these commercials, throwing up three plates on on the bench press. I'm just saying, if we're going to do ads for supplements, let's at least think about the subtext of some of these ads. I'm just saying. Just saying. 
Well, that's going to wrap it up for us this week, the co-main event podcast. I'm Chad Dunnis from ESPN.com. That's Ben Folks from USA Today and MMAJunkie.com. We'll be back next week probably to wrap up everything that happened at UFC Macau. Macau! If we can see through our crippling hangovers <laughs> to make it here. Uh, but as for now, that's it. We're done. We're out. You know, after doing this the last hour here with you, I feel like you might have a, a cough drop problem. Well, I have a disease. I told you that. Are you trying to say that the disease might be cough drops? That I have a cough drop, a holia? I'm trying to say that, uh, you know, I love you and I feel like I'm losing you and I'm here to invite you to join the fight. I appreciate that offer. <laughs> <laughs>